0: Touched something in me. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the, the water and Peter went walking out on the water to meet Jesus. And, um, you know, that's a fun story to hear and a fun story to tell our kids. But can you imagine the courage it took <clears throat> to walk out on the water? <laughs> you know, um, I've never had the thought to do that when I've been out in the lake or out in the ocean. I've never had, had the thought just to get out of the boat and uh, and think that I would be walking, walking on the water. But um, There's a part in this song that says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Um, when we're in the deep, we're in, the, in those deep parts of the ocean and, and those and tough times in our life, that's where the presence of God is the strongest, um, because everything else is stripped away, and it's just us and the Lord. And there's those, um, there's those times um, where only He can reach you and only He can speak to you. And during those times, um, <clears throat> I think everything else has to be taken away. We have to be in that part where um, it's, it's uh, hold on to Him or sink. And, uh, and He will never let us go. You know, we have that promise in Him that no matter what we're doing or where we're going or what we're walking through, and if we have um, the faith and the trust to hold on to him, he will never let us down. And and I love that. And I just, I pray for that in my own life. And to lead me where my trust is without borders, where all that breaks away and, and I, I let go of all that fear and I just trust that he has uh, plans for me. And I know he has plans for you and not plans to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. And I believe that, but it's in those in those hard times, that if you look back on your life, and I know I've done the same thing, and I, I know you have too, when you look back at those hardest times, um, how precious he is to you, and how you learn a new thing about him, um, I know it has to be that way with you, because it is with me when I'm in those deepest, darkest times, um, I see a different side of him, and, uh, and feel his presence in a way I never have before, and, um, that's a precious thing, so, um, those times in the deep, they're hard, and, um, but they're healing, too. They're healing. And, um, and God is good. He will never let us go. <laughs>
1: Kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed, you can follow Kason out at the back, he's uh, leading you today. All right, as those guys go out, I want to do, uh, you know, one of the things I, I love about coming together with you guys is we come together and in worship, and we just declare the greatness of our God together, and it's, man, it's so good, isn't it? It's so it's so encouraging to, for us all to come together and just to declare the Lord's goodness together and, and His might and His power, um, because we do serve a great God, amen? And he's done amazing things for his people. Amen. Throughout the history of mankind, God was always acting on behalf of his people. He was always doing amazing things, always doing great things for his people. And and uh, you know, it's not like um, it's not like we have a God who was just off doing stuff, you know, to make himself look great. Um, obviously, he looks great. Obviously, he's worthy of glory and all of those things. But but when he acted and when he moved, it was on behalf of his people. And one of the things I think that we all get caught up in, and Brenda's. In intro here with uh, oceans and, and that vision of Peter. You remember that story of Peter who who, uh, who asked the Lord whenever uh, Jesus was came along walking on the sea and Peter asked him, well, if it's you, call me out to you. And, uh, and Peter got up out of the boat. But you remember what happened? He climbed up out of the boat in this inc- incredible uh, you know faith that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. But something, what happened? Yeah, the the waves came and he, and he took his eyes off of Christ and, and they distracted him and he began to sink until he had to reach up his arm and say, What, Lord, save me. Um, and the Lord did save him. He did pull him up out of the water and, uh, and pull Peter out. But, you know, I find that I'm a lot like Peter. You know what I mean? I can have just incredible great faith. I can, I can have a great quiet time in the morning and, 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 and things can be going really well for me. And then something happens with my family or something happens at work or, or we've got stress over finances or stress over this or that or the other. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like Peter. Oh, Lord, save me. I'm sinking, right? I can do that, and and I love one of the one of the other songs we sang today. It says basically uh, the the, the uh, ten thousand reasons songs. It says basically, Lord, when I start in the morning, help me to finish still praising you. I have trouble in a in a in a in an eighteen hour period. Do you, do you? Yeah, is that just you? Just me? Uh, we do. We we have a hard time remembering the Lord's goodness and His greatness, and about how really it is the only thing that matters. For us. And matter of fact, when we go through those discouraging times, it's the Lord's greatness and it's the great work and the victories of the Lord Jesus Christ that matter the most. Amen? Let me start with this. Let's let's start this way this morning. What I wanted to ask you this morning is you guys are a minority on, on the planet Earth, right? There are some things that you're going to get for being in the family of God that the majority of people on the planet aren't going to get, right? There are promises of God, things that he's done for you, things that he's told you, things that he's promised you that he's going to do for you that he's not going to do for most people on the planet. Amen? Is this true? So tell me, what, tell me some of those things. What are some things that you are going to receive or some of the promises that God has made to you that the rest of the planet um, isn't going to get unless they, unless they too have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What do we get as believers? Eternal life, yeah. What else? Peace, yes. What else? Friendship with God, it's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? Friendship with God, what else? He's going to help us along the way, and someone said perfect love. We receive his perfect love. That's exactly right. Help with every step, help with every day. What else? Forgiveness, yeah, forgiven all of our sin. How about that? What else? Joy, yeah, joy in life. Isn't it something too, and that's that's a great place for me to stop there too, but you know the thing is is that when I let those discouragements take my eyes off of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, it sucks all the joy out of my life right, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm despairing, all of a sudden I'm anxious, and all of a sudden it's as though I'm living as though all those things that the Lord God has done for me don't matter in that anxious moment, right? Well, listen, those things that the Lord has done for us, the greatness of our God, the victories of the Lord Jesus Christ matter in every moment and every circumstance of my life, amen, and yours as well. They matter all the time, and and I I said it uh, maybe in a in a quote last week where there is no moment or circumstance in, of my life that is not impacted by God's greatness and the victorious work of Jesus Christ. There's no time in my life that I shouldn't be, uh, you know, just just uh, excited about how what how what a great God I serve and and excited about the victories that came to me through the Lord Jesus Christ about the peace with God that I have, the friendship with I that, with God, that I have, the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus Christ made for me on the cross, the fact that I have eternal life, uh, the, all of those things matter every moment of my life, even in those anxious or discouraged times. Amen? Amen. And so you and I have um, some of the ways that Paul talks about it is, is we have an unconquerable joy. It's a joy that can't be put down because there's nothing so bad in this life that the greatness of God and the victories of Christ don't impact. Amen? Help me, Lord, not to forget. Tomorrow, yeah, you with me? All right, you too. Okay, but here's what I wanted to do. What I, I wanted to talk to you this morning, and I want to talk to you about those times of discouragement. I want to talk to you about, about how, still in those moments, the greatness of God and the victories of Christ matter and make a difference. Uh, Lord, help us. I, but I, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to t- tell you and show you. Um, you know, I think there's a. I think the. I think Christian booksellers do a lot of disservice to believers and people in certain uh, kind of theologies about church also, uh, about what salvation means. But, but they make a lot of money off of people by saying discouragement is abnormal for believers. Um, if you're without joy, then that's, that's unusual. You shouldn't, you, know, you shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't have a lack of joy in your life. You're discouraged. You really shouldn't have discouragement in your life. And, and here's 12 things to help you remember not to be discouraged. Listen, those, those things certainly have a place. But listen, let me tell you, in the Scriptures... People were discouraged. God's people went through discouragement. And it happens over and over and over. They went through suffering. They went through trouble. They went through discouragement. Let me read you just a few examples. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah is speaking here. In Jeremiah, uh, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 20. And he says, I curse the day I was born. That sounds like discouragement to me. To you? I curse the day I was born. Uh, Jeremiah, they're frustrated because he has the Word of God and, and has difficulty delivering it or people hearing it. Psalm 77, one of the psalms 77, verse 3 said, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. Thinking about remembering God as he was, and he says, I remembered you, O God, and what did it cause? Not excitement, not joy. He says, I groaned. Psalm 102, the psalmist is so distraught, he says, I forgot to... Forgot to eat, he says. That's discouragement. That's, that's right, when, when, when my discouragement about my circumstances has me so overwhelmed that I didn't even think to eat. And Job, of course, uh, the greatest of all sufferers in the, in the Scriptures except for the Lord Jesus Christ said in, in Job chapter 10, he said, I loathe my life. I, I hate it, he would, he would say. In Job chapter 3, he also talks about um, he, he talks about those who, who, who uh, seek an escape from this life, who, seek, who actually seek death, but they can't find it. They want badly such relief, that they, but, they can't, but they can't find it. It doesn't come for them. So this morning, I wanted, to, I wanted to encourage you with a couple of things. One is discouragement is not abnormal for God's people. God's people walk through discouragement every day. Every day we face discouragement. And may I say to you this morning is that God's intention for us is to walk through trouble and to walk through suffering and to walk through discouragement. Listen, when he called the Apostle Paul, what did he say to him? He called the Apostle Paul and he said, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer in my name. Right now? You're not going to hear that. We were talking in Sunday school. You're not going to hear that on Joel Osteen tonight. He's not going to be talking about that, but you're going to hear it here. Suffering is a normal part of the life of the Christian. Discouragement is a a part of the normal life of a Christian. But here's the great thing is that God has a remedy for it. God 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 has something to help us put it in perspective and to realize my whole life is not falling apart because my finances are. My whole life isn't doomed because I'm suffering in my marriage. My whole life isn't falling apart because my children are struggling in school or struggling struggling in their friendships, or my, my whole life isn't falling apart because I've got terrible sins that I'm embarrassed or ashamed of. Listen, we have a great God who's done amazing things, marvelous things on behalf of his people. And in the end, those are the things that really matter. Amen? So let me take you through a little bit about discouragement. So maybe, maybe a few things, and, and let me just talk to you. I'm going to just kind of hit one aspect of discouragement this morning, but the, my main question is, why does God allow his people to be discouraged? Why does he allow it? Why does he allow you and I to walk through suffering? Why does he allow us to walk through discouragement? Why, did, why, why does he allow us to, to face a sin that we face over and over and over again that we can't get through? Why is it that, uh, that we're praying for someone in our life to, you know, for some change, for someone to come to faith, for someone to be healed, or, or maybe you have some, some sickness, some illness that you struggle with, and, and it's frustrating you, and you're facing it day after day after day. Why is it that, that God allows those things in our lives, and what are we supposed to do about it? But one of the first things that I wanted to talk about is, is, um, is uh, it, this discouragement about emptiness. Um, and what I'm talking about there is this, uh, you know, a feeling of emptiness, or maybe loneliness is a better idea. Maybe it's that, that feeling of emptiness or feeling of loneliness, and in particular, those times where it feels like we're far apart from everyone and including God. What about those times? Those are discouraging times. Those are times where we feel isolated from other people. Those are times where we feel isolated from maybe God himself. And you remember the psalmist wrote, he said, My God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me see David in that time he was feeling like he'd been forsaken by God he felt like there was a time that God was had his face toward him and now he feels like all of a sudden there's just nothing happening and in the circumstances he's in it's like God has turned his attention away from David and he's walked away from him do you know you remember who else quoted that verse Jesus Christ on the cross never had known separation from his father before but there while he hung on the cross he quoted the psalm he said my God My God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus would become a great high priest because like you, he would know what it felt like to be separated by God. He, never, he would never know that as, as God's son without the, without the, the indwelling uh, Godhood in the, in the flesh of Jesus Christ. But as a man, he felt that same forsakenness that you and I feel sometimes where it feels like our, our prayers aren't getting through the ceiling or, or somehow God is, has alienated himself from us or forsaken us or left us and we can feel a very big emptiness, a very big hole in our lives. Why does God allow that? Why do we have times like that? And why are we not alone? Why does it happen in the Scriptures? Why does it happen to David? Why did it happen to the Lord Jesus? I think just very simply, um, absence increases our desire. And presence increases our joy. There's a time in in uh, in in the Song of Solomon. It's it's uh, it, it's called the the Dark Night of the Soul, and it's a story of you know the Song of Solomon is a story of two lovers, and and it's a story of one of the lovers. one in, in one of the chapters where it says, "I looked for my lover at night, but I could not find him. And I left my house and I went out into the streets, but I could not find him. And it's the story of that the that the. Um, um, Oh my goodness, I just forgot their names. The Puritans used to describe what they call spiritual desertion, the dark night of the soul when they look for God, but it doesn't seem like they can find Him, like they've been forsaken by Him, like, like God has pulled off and pulled away and, is, and has become distant from them. And they, re, they referred to that as spiritual desertion, not meaning that God had left them entirely, not meaning that God had, had, had that they had lost their salvation or something, but meaning simply this, is that God allows times of distance so that when, when he's gone, we miss him and our heart yearns for him. You remember in Psalm 63, it says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. I long for you uh, like my, my soul yearns for you. My body longs for you like, like in the desert, like, like a desert longing for water. And I long for you. You see, when you're distant from God, Your thirst for him more, amen. This is true. This is made famous in some in some language that we even still quote today. uh, Whenever we say things like um, "absence makes the heart grow fonder," it's true, isn't it? You know, Brenda was gone for a few days when she was uh, down in Graham taking care of her mom, and. I missed her. You know, I miss seeing her, uh, having her around. I miss coming home to her. I miss coming home, uh, you know, to her, her home-cooked meals. I missed I missed uh I I missed her, you know, in the evenings when we would sit together and talk together. I missed her, My, you know, that that made me, made me thirst for her, made me want her back, and it's the same way. With our God, isn't it? When he's distant from us, it increases our desire, our hunger, and our thirst for him. And God allows that sometimes so that we can remember, Lord, no, I I want you, I need you in my life. God allows that time of emptiness or loneliness sometimes in our lives so that we would increase our desire. And how about this? Is there anything better than a homecoming? Is there anything better than when there's someone you love and you've been separated by something that wasn't your choice and you get to come together? Is there anything sweeter than that homecoming or that coming back together? There's nothing else like it, is there? It's a, uh, that presence, that being face-to-face with someone um, it just increases our joy. It's just a joyous time to be together. And I think God allows it. Um, and becomes extraordinary when we get him again. Um, Boy, I've taken a lot of time on all that. I apologize. Um, The next thing that I want to talk about, disappointment or or discouragement, though, is disappointment. And what I want to tell you, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning, is that there's disappointment in my life and your life. And and, and I I want to talk about one particular kind of disappointment, and that is this, that there are things in your life that you wish were different. There are things in your life that you, that you wish would work out differently, that would be different. Um, it's, I wish, you know, I wanted my life to look like this, but instead my life looks like this, right? Um, it's, a, it's a different set of circumstances. It's, it's um, I wish I was, you know, things were better in my life. I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 11. We're going to be in Hosea. Now, uh, let me help you find it. If you get in the mi- major prophets in the Old Testament after Psalms, you're going to hit uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea will be next. Hosea chapter 11. Ask me who my favorite minor prophet is. Hosea. Yes, this is it. This is great. I love this book um, because of what we're going to read today. This is, the, this is kind of the heart of Ho- Hosea that we're going to read. Basically, Hosea is sent as a last-ditch effort to save the Israelites from the coming uh, invasion and God's going to warn them. He's going to tell them, listen, you're, you're, you're following after these foreign gods. You've taken the gods of all, these, of all these other peoples. Instead of following me, you've chased after Baals. And so he says, so I'm going to bring calamity on you. They're going to come and they're going to invade you. And there's going to be swords and there's going to be horses riding into your town. And they're going to carry you off, right? Unfortunately, it would happen. They would not turn. They would not Listen. But Hosea chapter 11, listen how it starts. Listen to how the Lord describes his relationship or describes his care and love toward the Israelites. Hosea chapter 11, let's start in verse 2. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. Did you hear that? He said, so what? God's calling to them like, like, a, like a mother or father might call to their son, come, you know, come home, come to dinner, come to whatever. But the more he called them, what? The further they went. The more God called them, the more He wooed, the more He called them to Himself, the further they went from Him. They sacrificed to the baals, false gods of uh, yeah, the false gods, and they burned incense to images. So they they um, they uh, they they began in idol worship to the uh, to the in the nations around them, along with their gods. I, it was I. Listen to what He says here. Listen to the imagery. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. How about that? So that's a picture, right, where he's saying, it, it, he said, I treated them like this. It was like me tra- teaching a child how to walk. Uh, you know, has anybody seen, by the way, has anyone seen uh, Michael and Rebecca's um, uh, Addison walking here? My goodness. How about that the kid's so short? Didn't, she didn't look like she could, she could walk. But, you know, it's that picture of a father or a mother, you know, taking a child by the arms and very lovingly, very carefully teaching them um, how to walk. And that's the story. He says, I was like a father. I was like a father showing them, teaching them how to walk. This is the care that I showed to Israel. This is the love that I showed them. But they did not realize that it was I who healed them. This happens a lot of times in the life of Christians that we forget it was God who was good to us, right? We forget the Lord's goodness and we get discouraged or we forget the Lord's goodness. and We wander off and do something else, go looking for fulfillment in other things. Look, look with me in verse 4. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. Now, the imagery is going to flip, and he's going to talk about, is <clears throat> going to change, and now he's going to talk about as though Israel were a, a beloved animal, you know? Um, you remember in the story, um, Jack and the Beanstalk, when Mickey went and sold Bessie the cow for what? If you remember, for three magical beans, right? And then he comes back, and he tells Donald what he's done, and what does Donald's response? He tears his... Who said that? Brilliant. Very, Jessica has quite a memory for the Disney movies. Yes, and he tears his father's. down because he's so... Bessie, their beloved cow, for some means. That's a terrible illustration for what I'm talking about this morning. But the imagery is this. Is that this is a beloved animal. This is, a, this is like a family member, a beloved animal that they're talking about here. <clears throat> and he says... I led them with cords of human kindness. So he's talking about this. I've led them with a robe, but the rope here is for kindness. The, 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 the way that I've led them is to show them my goodness and my love for them. And I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Here he talks about caring and feeding for them themselves. He lifted probably, we're talking about the yoke of slavery, um, that, they, um, that they were under in Egypt, that the Lord um, um, saved them from, redeemed them from as a foreshadowing of his redemption of you and I from the slavery of, of sin. Verse 5, will they not return to Egypt? You remember right after the Israelites left Egypt and they started to get hungry and they started to grumble and they said what? Let's go back to Egypt It was better. At least we had food there. Let's just turn around. Let's go back to Egypt. Listen, that happens throughout the history of Israel. Every time they have trouble, they go back to Egypt. They wanted to. They wanted to go into. uh, They wanted to go into what do you call those written agreements uh, between countries? They wanted. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt to say, "Egypt will save us." You know, here the Assyrians are knocking at our doors, but we'll go and make an agreement with Egypt, and they'll help us, and they'll. They'll, uh, they'll 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 um, they'll provide for us and they'll help us be militarily strong so they turn over and over in the new testament, in the old testament rather instead of turning to god the people of israel turn to egypt do you see what they're saying here is that for security the israelites refused to turn to god and instead they returned to egypt and you and i still do the same thing today we keep turning to something else for security. We turn to our money. We turn to our goods. We turn to our things. We turn to our jobs. We turn to, we turn to doctors. We turn to anything else but the Lord God for security. We turn to anything else for the Lord, to, than the Lord God for, um, for, um, for safety. We turn to anything else but God for fulfillment. Let me quote to you a little part here from uh, William Bridges as a Puritan writer, Puritan pastor. He said this, he said, man comes to God only after finding emptiness everywhere else. He said, so long as we can find fulfillment anywhere else, we will not come to God. How about that statement? If we can find fulfillment, if we can find our needs met anywhere else, we'll we'll do it rather than to coming to God. But here's the deal. Over and over again, the Israelites would turn to Egypt and Egypt could not save them. Over and over again, they would turn to the Baals instead of to God and the Baals Could not save them. Over and over again, they would turn to, uh, you know, uh, all these different things. And you and I still do the same things today, don't we? Over and over again, uh, we turn to our jobs, we turn to our finances, we turn to our stuff, we turn to our stuff for security, we turn to other people for acceptance instead of acceptance from God, we turn to our jobs for importance men instead of looking to God for fulfillment and purpose, right? Over and over and over again. And in the end, what do we find? None of those things can save us. None of those things can fulfill us. So one of the, way, one of the reasons why the Lord allows us to fill that disappointment is it's so that we can know, so that we, we can realize is that, you know, there's only one Savior for me. There's only one source of security for me, and it's not my money. It's not my job. It's not my income. There's really only one source of me for, for fulfillment, and it's not what I find in, the, in someone else. It's only found in the Lord God. So over and over again, God uses discouragement in our lives so that we might come to him and realize that there's there's an end to that thing. And in the end, it could not help me. It could not fulfill me. It could not satisfy me. It could not be my security. In the end, nothing can save and nothing can satisfy me. Nothing can fulfill me like the Lord God. There is no substitute for him. Amen? Now, I just want to finish this because it's such a powerful, such powerful verses. Will they not return to Egypt? And here we go. So here he's saying, and here's coming his judgment. And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? To repent of what? Constantly turning to anything or anyone but God. Yeah? Okay. Verse 6. Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates, and put an end to their plans my people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. So, in other words, what, what Hosea is declaring here is that judgment is coming from the Assyrians. They're going to come and they're going to take the northern kingdom because the people refuse to repent from turning from, to Egypt and Baal's and everywhere else but to God. But listen to, with me in verse 8 How can I give up? How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Edma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed or turned over. My heart is changed within me, and all my compassion is aroused. So here, in the end, what God says is that, yes, judgment is coming to Hosea. I'm sorry, judgment is coming to the northern kingdom. But in the end, what he says is this, but I cannot let her go. I love her too much. I, I won't let her go entirely. I'm going to save a remnant. I'm going to show them my kindness. But in God's faithful and stubborn love, he says, but I will never let them go. They're f- faithless. They keep turning away from me. They won't repent of that. And yet I cannot let them go. This is the love of God for you and I, amen? This is the stubborn love of God that says, no matter how many times we've failed, no matter how many times we've messed up, no matter how many times we've turned from, to everything but to God, he says, but I will not let you go. I love you too much. But the, the bond of love that God has with his people is so great, he says, I'm, won't even, I'm not even going to break it. I can't break it. I love them too much is the love of God for his people. So let me close like this. As long as, we find, as, long as we're finding satisfaction in other places, we're always going to be disappointed as long as we're looking for for security somewhere else, as long as we're looking for approval in people, as long as we're looking for their acceptance and not turning to God for those things, as long as we do, we're going to walk through and we're going to come to disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, right? Um, This happens a lot in in us and it happens in the people around you. Does anyone know anyone who's constantly chasing that, that next dollar who's constantly looking for that next job that's just going to pay them oodles more than they were making, or, or they're you know, trapped up in some little um, scheme where you, know, you buy real estate and you sell it with no money down. You hear all those schemes, right? Um, all that kind of stuff. You know people like that are always looking for the next dollar. There's, the dollar, uh, that money is their view of salvation, and God says, you're going to be disappointed. It cannot save you. Do you struggle? Or or maybe your struggle is this. Maybe for us it's a struggle of relationships. So hungry for approval from other people, so hungry for their acceptance that you just burn people out. Always going from relationship to relationship, and it's never enough. Well, listen, the reason is that'll never be enough for you. You can only find acceptance. You can only find approval in, in our Lord God, and you can't find it anywhere else. Anywhere else you look, you're going to be disappointed because no one else can satisfy. No one else can fulfill like our Lord, the great God. Amen. He alone. Here's the deal. Um, Jesus is like a surgeon. He uses conviction and he uses that disappointment in your life to help you realize, no, you need a savior and I'm the one. You're not going to find it in another person. You're not going to find it in your income. You're not going to find it in money or power or success at your work. You're not going to find it there. The only place that you're going to find fulfillment is in him, is in him. Let me encourage you uh, this way is, um, is this, that in the midst of discouragement, sometimes the Lord's revealing something to ourselves that we're going to the Baals and we're going to the Egypts of our day. We're going to, you know, we're going to our own successes at our job. We're going to, success, to relationships or whatever in our day. But in the end, here's the greatness of God. He says, in all that mess, in all of your searching, in all of your seeking, everywhere else for fulfillment, he says this, you ready? My love has never and will never let you go. Amen. So so here's how I'd like to close this today. Wherever you're looking, wherever you're searching, wherever you're not finding fulfillment, wherever you feel lonely and empty or disappointed and discouraged, whatever it is, park right here in this. The Lord's great love for you the, the the great love that, that he's bound himself to you and, say, and, and says to you, I would do nothing but love you. I would do nothing but hang on to you. And I will not let you go no matter how much you wonder, no matter how far you go. I'm going to hold on to you. And listen, that will speak to your heart and your mind in such a way. If, if you would stay there, if you would park there for a week and just say, Lord, show me, let me see, let me, let me get, let me give me a bigger canvas so that I can understand and capture better your great love for me that will not in this stubborn love for me, in this, in this faithful love for me that you will not let me go. And let that speak to your heart and speak deeply to your soul because listen, your soul has a hole in it and it's looking for this right here. It's looking for that love of God and there is nothing else in the world that will satisfy you and to find that love in him. But listen, it's not enough to know it. It's not enough to know that, oh, yeah, God loves me, and that's enough. No, it's, you've got to experience. You've got to take it to that place. You've got to take it to the, the, those disappointments. You've got, you got to ask him, Lord, in my, in my disappointment, in my discouragement, in my emptiness, in my loneliness, remind me of your great love. Fill in those holes in my life. Fill in those holes in my heart, and fill them with something that you can only do. Amen? Would you pray with me, and we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord God, that you have made a way that we could receive and we could could understand your great love because you will not let us go. No matter how many times we wander away, no matter how many places we look for love, then in you, Lord God, you refuse to let us go. And in your stubbornness and your faithfulness, you continue to love us, Lord God, despite all of our wanderings. We lift you up and 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 uh, worship you, Lord. I pray for those people who are struggling, who 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 your word uh, struck a chord with this morning. I pray that, that that you would lead them to the place of their discouragement, that you would take them to the place of that disappointment or or that loneliness, um, and I pray or that conviction, Lord God. And I pray that you would pour into them your great love for them the great acceptance that you have for them, the, the great approval that you have for them, not for their sin in their lives, but because you have loved them and declared your love by the sacrifice of your great Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Take us to that place, Lord God, that you could fill us up, I pray. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. All right. Listen, thanks so much for, for, uh, for being here today, being so attentive. Let me ask for, if you've got a few minutes, we can use a little help. Um, We're going to set up for this evening, and if I could get some help, we want to move the chairs. uh, Well, we don't really have to move them back, but we want to move the chairs so that we get um, three rows of four tables in here and two in the back, and then we'll arrange the chairs around those. So if you've got just a moment to uh, help out with that, uh, we'll knock that out really quickly. Thanks for being here. Y'all have a great week.